By the way, I don't think I said it at the beginning, but happy Father's Day. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Great day. Hey, um, we're pleased today to have with us uh, Reverend Arliss Slack. He was pastor here, uh, started his pastorate actually on July 19th, 1981. Okay, so few years back. He had an interesting uh, role here, really, at Community. Um, he was the pastor that followed Pastor Lindsay, who had been here for 50 years. And uh, being a pastor, I know that it's tough to follow either a founding pastor or a long-term pastor. But uh, God used Pastor Slack, really, in that transition time. For this church, really to bring really some refreshing uh, movement, really, of God during his time. He actually uh, is going to be 91 this year, yeah, and uh, was born in Tennessee, uh, served in the United States Air Force for 20 years. Uh, after his service in the Air Force, he went uh, to Tennessee Temple for his uh, training for ministry and uh, graduated in 75 as class valedictorian. All right, that's cool. Uh, with a graduate of theology degree. Um, just lost his dear wife, Opal, this year. Uh, so that's been a, a tough year for him. But uh, he and Opal came here. Uh, and uh, I want to share some words here from, uh, from Brian Nickel. I appreciate what he had to say here that uh, when he and his wife Opal came to community, they gave it a much-needed shot of adrenaline. After 50 years of great leadership by Pastor Lindsay, the church had grown old along with him. Pastor Slack, with his great love for the Lord and for people, and his fiery preaching, along with Opal's outgoing personality and rousing piano playing and singing, brought new life to community. Though he served here only for a short time, Pastor Slack played a large role in the history of Community Christian Fellowship. He helped make us who we are today and will be forever in our hearts. Thank you, Pastor Slack, for your time here at Community and for your contribution to God's kingdom. Amen. Well, let's welcome Pastor Slack. Pastor Slack, if you can come on up. There he is, okay. I'm going to ask him a few questions, okay? Yeah, he probably asked all of you a few questions when he was here. So here we go. All right. Bless you, brother. Nice to have you here. I have a mic for you, okay? How's that? Okay. All right, that means you can go for it. <laughs> uh, I sent him these questions earlier, okay? So um, I think he's ready. You've, you've had a lot of years to prepare. Uh, <laughs> uh, first question, these are kind of open-ended, but what, what are your best memories of your time here at Community? That's one of the hardest things. You'll want to hold that could, closer there, that's all. That was one of the hardest things I could come up with in the, because there were so many. But one of them came to mind, and it involved me to a large degree. I learned not to give them too much of a challenge because they would take up challenge. I can't sing. 
I am tone deaf to my own tone because I, I don't have the faintest idea of what I'm sounding like right now. <laughs> you sound good. But uh, anyway, I challenged them if they would fill every seat in every pew with a live human body, I would do a special. <laughs> they took that challenge. On the first Sunday of November of 1981, people started coming in. The pews filled up. Put chairs in the aisles. They filled up. They put chairs across the front. They filled up. I was so excited, I preached my heart out that morning. Afterwards, when I finished, I went over to the piano because they had done their thing. I was going to have to do my thing. <laughs> my wife hit a note on the piano quite a few times trying to get me maybe close to the right key. <laughs> she never succeeded. But I went ahead and sang, excuse me, went through the first verse <laughs> of victory in Jesus. Amen. They joined in on the other. That's, that's so sweet to my memory. I've got some more, but they... Let's come with the other questions. Yeah. All right, good. All right, here we go. How did you see the Lord work while you were here? Now, it was Community Baptist Church then, right? right? Okay, yeah. Same November. I had preached from July to uh, November without giving invitations and had, did not have one single move by anyone, no sign of any response. I preached to Thanksgiving's message that Sunday morning. One lady came forward when I gave the invitation for rededication of life. From that point to the 1st of January, I had led eight people to the Lord and never leaving the altars. And we later baptized six of them. That started a floodgate, I think. We started having visitors. We went for over a year at one point that we never missed a Sunday without a first-time visitor. It was absolutely astounding of what was happening. God was bringing in people. We didn't have a visitation program because it, I was so busy trying to follow up on first-time visitors. Mm. And it, it, it was a glorious time during that period of time. And uh, just to see God working and the people that he was bringing in was so refreshing to my spirit, but it, it seemed like it was refreshing to their spirit too. Mm. And 
I don't know, the, I felt from the start that I would be the pastor between Pastor Lindsay and then the pastor that would come full time. God has blessed me to be able to take a church that cannot support a pastor full time and using my retirement income from the Air Force. I always have pastored full time at churches and this is what I did it. And community kept growing. We had to find more space. Someone came up with the idea of we've got a lot of space that's wasted here in the present auditorium. Let's reverse it 180 degrees. And we went through a construction project, did that increase the seating quite adequately, but we started filling that up. So we started looking for land. God was blessing with finances, and uh, every time that they have a business meeting yearly, uh, they would propose an increase in my salary, which meant that I was going to the right goal. And I just praise the Lord that uh, when uh, they gave me my last raise, I felt that, well, they can support a full-time pastor. And sure enough, when I left, the pastor came full-time. Fantastic. There's so many other blessings. Uh, you were in that the building up there, right, when you yes, were here? I've yes, I've got to tell you this. Yes, sir. I wanted my son-in-law to see that, the building. And uh, so uh, Brother Dick Gensler took us on an excursion yesterday uh, revisiting sites. That was one of them. And we got to go inside. All right. Do they still have it turned around like you had it? Yes. All right. Now, the, <laughs> the decor has changed quite well. But I was able to get up on the platform behind the little pulpit that they had, and I could visualize where people used to sit. Oh. That's precious. It's I have a feeling he was a great pastor here. <laughs> I can say more than go to that last Got question. another question here. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He's way ahead of me. See, that's good. That's good. Keep me on, on line. <laughs> How did God use your time at community in your life? Patience. <laughs> I've said about Community Baptist, the churches I've pastored, I've Community Baptist, I had more problems than I'd ever had in any other church. But they, God worked them out. I've considered faith or Community Baptist as the top of my pastoral career. Mm. You, when I talk about to anyone, the churches that I pastored, I come to Carlisle because that's where so many blessings flow. 
God taught me not only patience, but I realized what a pastor really was. Because people would come up to me after two or three weeks and they'd say, Pastor, you remember that sermon you preached such and such? You know what you did. <laughs> My mind's working ahead, not behind. <laughs> and they would say, well, Pastor, this is what has happened in my life because of that. I st started sitting back and looking at the changes in my people. You see, when you're a pastor, they are your people. Yeah. And you, you care for them. And it was so good. I could care less about the invitations and people going forward. It was what was, I was seeing the joy and the peace on their faces. That was tremendous. So I learned to teach the word, preach the word, and live the word, mm -hmm. and leave all the glory to God, because it's Him that made everything possible. Amen. How many of you were here when Pastor Slack was here? Hey, you still got a pretty good group here. Look at that. Man, all right. Fantastic. Well, can I have a word of prayer with you? That'd be great. Father, we thank you for what we've heard today as a reminder of your great goodness and faithfulness. And I thank you for Pastor Slack being faithful here as pastor at Community Baptist and continuing to be faithful to you. Lord, it's so rich for us to hear him today sharing about your work in his life. I pray for him, Lord, today as he continues to grieve the passing of his wife, Opal. Lord, that you would just minister to him and uh, give him strength day by day. And Lord, continue to use him. Thank you. You've used him today. You've touched our hearts as we shared. So bless he and his family. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, sure. I got to tell you this about my wife. <laughs> Opal is a jewel. And she truly is my jewel. We met for the first time on a Saturday night. Never laid eyes on each other. Tuesday night we were engaged. Excuse me, w would you counsel people to do it that way? No. Oh, okay. That <laughs> <laughs> no, was seven months later before we got married. We hadn't received no counseling, nothing. I was stationed in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. She was in Athens, Tennessee, finishing high school. So communication was very limited, writing a letter or occasional phone call. We got married on June the 10th, 1956. Left for Cape Cod. Spent a three-year honeymoon on Cape Cod. And uh, other places then down through the years. My wife was a people person. Oh, she loved people. And she got this thing with my last name, Slack. And 
you that knew and knew her, did you know that she could thing, say things with a straight face? And you never knew whether she was just kidding or whether she was serious. But she'd walk up to a person and she said, I bet you've never talked to Ferris Lax before, have you? <laughs> it didn't matter. I mean, it, it <laughs> that's the way she was. And uh, she was just straight faces at all. But she touched more people than even I did. Because, did you know, most of you have read your Bible through. I think it was 19 or 2018. She wrote the Bible through in a year. She probably handed out more tracts than even the church staff because she'd walk up to a person and uh, say, have you, uh, uh, do, do you go to church? And regardless of what they said, uh, she said, well, let, let me show you where we, uh, where we go to church at. And she turned the track over to the address side and handed it to them. And they would take it. And so I, I, that was a brand new way of handing out tracks to me. But this, this is what I had lived with for 66 years, eight months, and two days. Now, I told you, Pastor, I don't know what we did on those two days. <laughs> <laughs> but those days were so important because God came to us. Mm. I've never gone through a hurt in my life like I've gone through mm. since God gave me this, that he took the best leg that ever made it in. But he left the other leg here. And he's got to learn how to walk with one leg. Mm. Well, I've got two absolute gorgeous crutches for my daughter and son-in-law back there. Mm. I'm learning. It's hard. Bless her heart. She's with her Savior. Mm. And I praise him. Amen. Thank you, brother. That was rich. Really appreciate that. By the way, uh, if you would like to have some more time, just getting some uh, sharing time with Pastor Slack, uh, he's staying at uh, Dick and Mary Gensler's, and they're having a kind of an open house this afternoon from 3 to 5, and you're welcome to head on over there. Well, I don't have a Father's Day message this morning. Um, I'm going to continue with the Hebrews uh, passage, and I'm not even going to try to twist this passage to make it a Father's Day message, so just so you know, all right? Um, but uh, today's message is from Hebrews chapter 3, and uh, we're going to be talking today about the main focus, really, of this chapter, and you'll see this in there at least twice, 
do not harden your hearts, okay? So uh, let's take our Bibles and uh, get right to it. Uh, we're going to be reading the whole chapter, Hebrews chapter 3, verses, well, the whole thing, 1 to 19. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. For he was faithful to God who appointed him just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house. But Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses, just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. But Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house. And we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. That is why the Holy Spirit says, Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. There your ancestors tested me and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them, and I said, Their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, as Israel did when they rebelled. And who was it who rebelled against God, even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. Now, there's two main things I want to talk about here from this passage today. Uh, the one is don't harden your hearts. But I want to begin where this starts in this passage. Throughout Hebrews, we've seen so far in, ver in chapters 1 and 2 that the author, the writer of this letter, is, as we mentioned, is writing to probably... Messianic Jews in Rome. Okay, so he's, he's giving a message to the Hebrew people. And uh, he, in this passage, has been talking about throughout 1 and 2, uh, the superiority of Christ, that he's greater than anyone. He, he is God himself. And so in this passage, as he talks to the Jewish people, he specifically focuses on Moses. Jesus is greater than Moses. In verse 3, the author refers to Moses 
serving faithfully as he was entrusted with God's entire house. The Jewish readers would immediately have thought of Numbers chapter 12, verse 7, which reads, If there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, would reveal myself in visions. I would speak to them in dreams, but not with my servant Moses. Of all my house, he is the one I trust. I speak to him face to face. Certainly, Moses' relationship with God was very special and superior to all of the people that God called his children. And and certainly, uh, as I heard Pastor Slack share this morning about the challenges of ministry, Moses knew a lot of those. Um, I mean, those people, you think, I've often thought about Moses, and particularly he and Joshua and Caleb, you know, they were faithful to God. They would have gone into the promised land. But because of the unbelief of everybody else, because of the complaining and all of the things that were going on against God and what he was doing among his people, they ended up wandering with everybody else for 40 years. Can you imagine that? It shows the significance of our choices, I think. I wonder how many people are wandering around with somebody else that didn't have faith. It's important what we do. It's important how we respond. Moses was faithful. That's what this passage keeps pointing to. And we know that Moses wasn't perfect. I mean, Moses didn't get to go into the promised land. Why? Because he didn't do exactly what God told him to do at the one time when he said, speak to the rock for water. And that time he struck the rock out of anger. And God says, well, you didn't do what I said. You know, I've stood, I've been to Mount Nebo in in, uh, Jordan and overlooked where Moses stood and saw the promised land. It was a very touching moment to think about here this man was faithful in serving God and couldn't get there. He saw it. We'll get back to this in just a moment. Do you know that Moses did get his feet in the promised land? You know that? Do you remember the Mount of Transfiguration story we read in the New Testament? Remember, Jesus was up there on the mountain, and guess who else showed up? Moses was one of them, right? Elijah and Moses. He was there. I mean, he was in a a heavenly position. He was glowing, and Peter, of course, was quite overwhelmed with it all, wanting to build some special buildings to keep him there. (laughs) Yeah. Wasn't that Moses wasn't a faithful person? It was that Moses was a person. (laughs) Moses was a fallen person, like you and me. But the author here is making it clear again that Jesus is far greater than Moses. As great as Moses was, he still failed. He still wasn't able to lead the people with complete perfection. He wasn't able to be what we need when it comes to having a relationship with God. It needs for us to have a perfect Savior. And Jesus is the only one that qualifies. But Moses was faithful. We read in chapter 11 here of of Hebrews, which we'll get to, of course, later in this study, but it says in verses 24 to 26 that it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, 
refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking ahead to his great reward. Boy, Moses was a great guy. And he was looking forward to God's provision of a Savior. He knew he wasn't the Savior of Israel. <laughs> yeah. He looked forward to the Messiah. Earlier in uh, the writings here of Hebrews, we had read a passage from Deuteronomy 32, verse 43, which comes from the Song of Moses. You'll find that in verse 6 of chapter 1 here in this study. But uh, 1 6 of Hebrews quotes that and points to the superiority of his son. He quotes Moses' song as speaking of the supreme son. When Moses wrote and sang, let all of God's angels worship him. Moses points to the son as superior to himself. Actually, his own savior. Yeah. You know, going back to that situation at the Mount of Transfiguration, as I mentioned, Peter wanted to save that moment. <laughs> he wanted to uh, preserve it. It was very special. I mean, can you imagine being there with Jesus and Moses and Elijah? It was just he and James and John. Peter, man, he says, we've got to keep this like it is. This is just so special. I mean, up on the mountain. You ever been up on the mountain with the Lord? You know, you don't want to really kind of go back down uh, to what life has been like before that. And that's kind of what that was going on there. And Peter wanted to preserve it. But you know what happened? At that very moment when Peter said, let's preserve this, God spoke. And you know what God said? Yeah, you do. This is my son. My chosen one. Listen to him. And when God said that, Moses and Elijah disappeared. <laughs> oh, we can kind of get wrapped up in our own little preservations of things that we think are so important. But never forget, Jesus is number one. Jesus is greater than Moses or any other human being no matter how faithful or how spiritual somebody might seem to be. And anybody worth their salt, I don't know where that term came from, but I remember growing up hearing that, but anybody worth their salt will point to the fact that Jesus is number one. If anybody's promoting themselves in the light of religion or in the light of leadership in the church, or in the light of whatever it is that they got going on, and if it's about them or anybody else, there's something wrong. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. There is no other way. Jesus is Lord. Now the second point today, by the way, only two points in this message today. Wow. I'll have to come up with something else at the end, maybe, I don't know. So now the author in this chapter 3 reminds the audience of the story of Israel in the wilderness being led by Moses and the result of their unbelief. Actually, he quotes a psalm, Psalm 95, verses 7 to 11, Psalm of David, a psalm recalling 
the situation that took place with Israel. And the warning is to not be like Israel. They hardened their hearts. They rebelled. They tested God. They saw all that he did for them, yet they turned away from the God who rescued them. Matter of fact, you recall, don't you, that some of their comments were, oh, we just should have been back, left back there in Egypt. You know, it was so much better. Yeah, it certainly was better, wasn't it? Slaves being beaten, having no freedom at all. But all they could think about was those, that leeks and garlic. I don't know why that was so important to them. But anyway, that was their complaint. And the warning here is not to be like them, to see all that God did for them, yet turning away from him. And so they did not enter into the promised land. All of the original ones were, that were free did not enter the land, except Joshua and Caleb, the faithful spies. And in verse 12 here, in this passage, it says that their problem was evil and unbelieving hearts. It's a heart issue, right? It's an issue of the inner person, the inner problem. The author continues then to rehearse this story and example through the rest of chapter 3. As we follow the account of this rebellion in Numbers chapter 14, God says this in verse 27 of Numbers 14. His commentary on this people. How long must I put up with this wicked community and its complaints about me? Yes, I have heard the complaints the Israelites are making against me. And he says, because you complained against me, every one of you who is 20 years old or older and was included in the registration will die. God says that the element that is evidence of their hardened hearts is complaining. I don't know, when I read that this week, that struck me deeply. I get that. I get that complaining is something that we seem to do rather easily. That is an evidence of our fallen nature. Complaining. You ever heard any complaining this week? No, everything was just sweet and special, right? Did you do any complaining this week? Oh, don't ask me that, Pastor. Now nah, you're messing with me. But it's interesting. As I thought about this, I realized that God is saying this is the issue. And the highway to unbelief is complaining about God. It's a quick trip, friends, to a hardened heart. Complaining does not move us closer to God but it moves us further away from him. feels good to complain sometimes, especially if you're an American, right? And you're not of the party that's in power. Ooh, now we're really getting there. Not going to go any further than that, but I tell you, I see it everywhere. And we kind of justify ourselves not godly. But the worst is when we complain about God. Oh, you might say, I, I, I don't do that. God's good, I know that. We sang about it. <laughs> we sang it this morning, so I mean, everything's good, right? 
But don't we do it sometimes? Life gets hard. Things don't go the way we want them to. And usually our thoughts, got to fight these thoughts, but usually many times our thoughts are, Lord, why? Why did you let this happen? Why didn't you fix this? You can do it. What's wrong? What's the matter with you, God? Now, we wouldn't say that out loud, of course. But it does reverberate inside. So what's the remedy? <laughs> what do we do? I got to tell you, you know, I told, I've told this so many times, you're going to get tired of it, but uh, usually each week I'm in with my mom and she'll ask me what I'm preaching on and of course I tell her and she thinks I'm the greatest preacher that ever lived, so that, that fires me up for Sunday, you know, so I'm here. But, uh, <laughs> but I told her about this and I told her about the complaining and I said, well, what is the remedy? She paused for a moment, and by the way, it's interesting to me how she responds so well to these questions, because a lot of her memory is just bad. I mean, she'll tell you the same thing over and over again many times. But boy, when I ask her questions like this, she's right there. Shows me where her heart is. I'll brag on her a little bit. But you know, she said, uh, well, she said, to think about God's love and to think about the fact that he is good and that we can trust him. Sounds right to me. I mean, I have all those theological sounds to some of the words, but it's the truth. We must follow the remedy given in this chapter to avoid missing the rest that God has for us. And that is, we must be open to his voice, we must maintain a tender heart toward God, and we need each other to stay on track. Look at verse 13. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. How often do we need to be warned by each other? You think we need that much? <laughs> Probably. D do we do that much? I, I, don't, I don't think we do, really, as much as that's telling us to. You know, later in this book, it also says, don't uh, give up meeting together, as is the habit of some. <laughs> but all the more as the day's approaching, you know, it's not a time to give up on getting together as God's people. It's a time to do it more. We, and one of the reasons is we, we need each other. We need each other to say, hey, you know, I really kind of think you're kind of getting over here in some territory that really isn't helping you stay close to the Lord. And I, I love you. It's not accusation. It's not judgment. It's love. Right? And when there's a relationship with each other, when we're together more and that's happening, it happens in the way God desires. It isn't like, ouch, oh, you're hurting me. It's more of, oh, it might hurt, but I understand you love me. So we need each other. We need to be surrounding ourselves with other believers who hold us accountable. And I really believe that this is the key element to staying faithful to the end. 
I've seen it, haven't you? People that kind of float away from church fellowship, to float away from accountability with other Christians, and the next thing you know, what happened to them? And when you do find out, they, they, they seem to be far from God. It does happen. And so we have this warning. Remember, I told you Hebrews is a book of warnings. Encouragement, certainly, but also warning. Don't harden your heart. Don't complain. Don't let yourself get there. Be around people who love God and want you to love Him more. And encourage each other and help each other and, and hold each other accountable. And, you know, I, I'm with a lot of different people. I, I love being with you guys, but I'm also with other Christians during the week. And I, why do I do that? I got to do it. If I don't do it, I'm going to end up messed up. I need the encouragement of other believers to stay on track. And if you don't think you do, there's a pride issue there, friends, that you need to let God deal with. Don't be like the people of Israel. Don't complain against God. When things don't go as you think they should, remember this. You're not in charge. <laughs> trust the one who is. And trust the one who is in charge in a way that is all motivated by his character. And that is love. We sang it. He is a good, good father. That's who he is. And I'm loved by him. And that's who I am. Oh, we could live on that every day. Don't complain, rather thank him for his love and presence. Don't say, if we could be back where we were. What a crazy statement that is. The Israelites, <laughs> going back to slavery, misery, and pain, rather than saying, Lord, we thank you that we're not slaves anymore. But isn't that to be our prayer, our thanks? Oh, the devil's lie is you ought to go back to some of that stuff. For It's subtle, you know, we kind of find ourselves kind of gradually getting into the whole possession thing of what we have and what's important in life and our financial package and all that kind of stuff. And Yeah, God provides those things and it's good to help us, but is that what really is number one? And when it doesn't work out just like that, what do we do? You know, it's kind of interesting, and I know the world does this real well, but I think it creeps into our Christian faith and our fellowship sometimes, too, that <laughs> the world doesn't want to believe in God, but when something goes wrong, they want to blame God. Isn't that strange? Well, we believe in God, but we still kind of sometimes creep into that blaming thing sometimes. Don't slip into the negativity of complaining. And warn others if that is the direction they are going. It, it might be hard to do to tell somebody something like that. But it will save them from much misery if they will listen. Make a decision that you will not complain against God no matter what happens. You know, I really think that's important. When you're not in the problem yet, 
it's a good idea to make up your mind of what you're going to do when you're in the problem. Make up your mind. I am not going to complain against God. I am going to praise God no matter what happens. Brian's going to preach next week. I'll be away. But he's going to talk about this whole entering into God's rest. Because that's where the author goes next with it. Mentions it a little bit in this chapter, but then heads into it further. That's what we need, isn't it? We, we, we try to fix it a lot of other ways. If I do this, if I have this, and I do, if, if life fits together nicely and everything's in a good package, then I can just kind of be at peace and have rest and I'll, I'll be comfortable. But it doesn't ever end up that way. There's always something else. <laughs> we have a little pool that we put up for the kids. Well, we really put it up for us, but uh, we let them swim in it. It's not big. I mean, it's just, it's just a, a thing. We got at Aldi's, you know, and it's 12 feet around, 30 inches, but it's nice and cooling when it's hot. Yesterday I was putting it up. And I was thinking, you know, I'm glad we got this thing, but this thing's got me. You ever think about that when you're stuffed? I mean, I'm glad I got this stuff, but when I'm really thinking about it, this stuff's got me. I mean, it just wear, wears me out. It's not quite up yet. If you want to come over and help? Uh, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, what matters? What matters? No matter what happens, no matter what happens to my stuff, no matter what happens in my life, no matter what happens to my health, no matter what happens in my family, no, what, no matter what happens in my job, no matter what happens, and we can go on and go on and go on and go on, I will trust God. I will be faithful to Him. I will not complain against Him. Promise is, you will know and enter into God's rest. Sounds good to me. I'm for it. Anybody else with me? Yeah, there we go. Amen. Uh, you know, pastors know how to get you to raise your hand, you know. And one more word before I'm finished. I think this is so deep. This came to my mind this week. Because life is hard. We have a lot of things that break our hearts. And, and they kind of sneak into our lives. You know, it's not like, oh, I knew this was coming, but suddenly, bam! And our hearts are broken. And God knows. Matter of fact, we have the promise from Psalm 34, 18, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, that He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Well, in light of that verse, do not let a broken heart lead to a hardened heart. Okay? You with me? You don't have to go there. And once you go there, you wish you weren't there. So let's not go. One of the things I find as I study Hebrews is that these warnings 
are really not the people that are already in these problems. You'll find that on and on throughout the book. The author will say, this isn't really you, but I don't want you to be there. I want to say that to you today. I don't really think this is really you. I look at your faces. I've been with a lot of you through crisis. I've been through a lot of things, and, and I know things that you're dealing with, but I also know you, <laughs> and I know that you are trusting God, and you want to trust Him more, and, and you are believing Him to be the one who is close to the brokenhearted, and, and you are believing that He will rescue you from the troubles, and, and you're going through it, and, and you're really not wanting to complain against Him, and you're really not wanting to be a hardened heart person, and, and so this really isn't you. But it is a warning for you and a warning for me. I will prosper. I believe that he is God. I believe that he will do what he said. That he will take those things that look like they are the biggest barrier and trouble in your life and he will turn them into something that is good. Amen? Let's pray. We do believe you, God. You've made yourself so clear. You led the children of Israel. You continued to meet their needs even when they were walking away from you. You fed them every day, but they still complained. Oh, Lord, may we not be like that. And I thank you that we don't have to be because of Jesus. I thank you that Jesus is greater than Moses, and through belief in him and faith in him, he changes us. So, Lord, we are a people that have said today, we're going to trust you, no matter what comes. We're not going to complain against you. Help us, Lord, to, to die to that area in our lives and to live for you. In Jesus' name.
All right, if you would sit down a minute. I couldn't remember whether I put that up or not. I wanted to have a closing here about Father's Day. It's real brief, okay? So let's show that right now. Dads, thank you for all the goodness you've brought to our lives, for guiding us with wisdom and truth when we insisted we knew it all, pointing out the right path even as we were taking a sharp right turn, showing us to love God and love others while we were acting wholly unlovable, chasing after us and walking us all the way home. Your compassion-filled heart and your merciful ways, your insistence that we don't have to be like everyone else, surely made us into the people we are today. Today, we want to honor you by thanking you for all you've done. Thank you for all the time in the practice fields. Thank you for all the long talks into the night. Thank you for not giving up on us when everyone else had. Thank you for believing in us far past what we could see in ourselves. If we're only able to visit you today in our memories, we know that what you gave to us still lives on. It's what we're able to give away now to those we love. It's a gift that is everlasting and valuable. And for those of us who sit here today without a father's love to remember, without all the things that should have been, we take the time to thank God, who's a father to the fatherless, who gathers those left behind as his own children. Happy Father's Day, and thank you for being our dad. we were singing the last verse of Victory in Jesus, um, I got to tell you, it was very emotional for me. I was thinking about my dad, and I'm thankful for him. We love Jesus, and I know he's there. Uh, this was his shirt, by the way. Wore that today on purpose. But um, yeah, and just to know that he's in that wonderful place that's prepared. Um, thank you, dads, for who you are, Okay. I know it's tough sometimes. We get tough on ourselves. We think we didn't do it all right. I know I didn't do it all right. That's okay. You don't have to be a perfect dad. We already got one of those. You just need to serve the one that is. And uh, so have a good Father's Day. Thank you, Pastor Slack, for being here. Thank you, Cindy. And what's your husband's name? Doug. Thank you for bringing him. Thank you. Yeah, let's say. It was another good day here at Community, 100 years of them. Thank God for it, huh? Have a great day. God bless you.